Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Again, everybody, it is the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. I am Mike Rags, going to be Todd Burlington here in a second. I uh, do want to remind you, wherever you found us, make sure you rate and review us and share us with all your friends. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, or if you're enjoying on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM on your Saturday morning, hope all is well. We're going to break down some more of the uh, Notre Dame football team. Uh, they, um, Todd Burlington had a chance to t- talk to one of the coaches, Ken Niamatololo. He, I, look, I said it right. He's going to have to say it right a lot more than I do. He's going to be on with you, and uh, we'll talk to him in a little bit and uh, get ready for the summer of 2019. Todd, what is going on, my friend? Nothing. And the reason I talked to Coach Ken there, how about that? I'm going to bail <laughs> out on your rags. The reason I talked to Coach Ken is Alohi Gilman uh, was recruited to Navy, played yep. for Coach Ken for one year. And I'm doing an extensive feature on Gilman and actually the entire safety position group with um with Jared, uh, Jalen Elliott. And so when you put those two guys together, I, I wanted to get a hold of Coach Ken to kind of get a feel, and I did, and I liked that interview quite a bit. We've got, uh, what what else is going on in the summer with this? I know, oh, by the way, this is Todd's birthday podcast. Todd is celebrating his uh, 31st birthday. Is that what we're doing yeah, here, Yeah, plus 21. Oh I, I've been gosh. drinking for 31 years. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, the, uh, do you have a birthday edition of your Blue Gold Nuggets? Is there? It, it's nothing too special, but there, I do have a three-pack. I do have a usual three-pack, Rags. I know, is one of them the ACC Big Ten uh, Challenge? Do we know that we know some of that, right? It is. All right. So I'll go ahead and dive in. I'll start there. Uh, Notre Dame Hoops is what Rags is referencing to. They will play Maryland in that ACC Big Ten Challenge. That will be on December 4th. Um, hopefully Notre Dame, actually Notre Dame won last year and beat Illinois is about his only win of the season. Uh, ND, this is the seventh year for this ACC Big Ten Challenge. Notre Dame is 4-2 and two in this deal. They played Maryland 20 times. I can't remember the last time that's happened in my, in my era here, but uh, Notre Dame is 11-9 and nine all time versus Maryland. A couple football notes, starting with a couple legends here at Notre Dame. Todd Light, who's currently the cornerback's coach here with the Irish, and Aaron Taylor, one of the great offensive linemen ever to move through here. They're among the 76 potential inductees that have been named to the College Football Hall of Fame ballot for this year. Um, Again, I mentioned Light, current Notre Dame cornerback's coach. He was an All-American in 89 and 90. Taylor was also a two-time All-American in 92 and 93. Uh, Last year, if you remember, Rags, Rocket Ishmael was finally inducted. He had been on the ballot for quite a while. The Irish have 47 Hall of Fame entrants at this point. little roster update for the current football team. All 74 scholarship players are back for summer school, accounted for, and all are in good standings. The only sort of, uh, sort of exception to that, there's been some rumblings that sophomore wide receiver Kevin Austin is struggling a little bit with uh, some certain things. Brian Kelly gave no specifics this week at a golf outing. So perhaps it smells a little bit like a Dexter Williams situation, perhaps, Rags, uh, where he was out for the first four games last year. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. Kelly did say if he does all his right things and gets everything together, he'll be fine for opening day. But at this point, that one's a little bit up in the air. Notre Dame stands at 86 scholarships, so they're one over the limit. That will take care of itself. Again, Brian Kelly offered no specifics. It seems like when you kind of get everybody back and everybody's doing the right thing, you're not worried about any kind of academic problems 
Typically, there's like a medical red shirt type of thing that, that it's given. So right. we'll keep an eye on that as well. And those are your blue gold nuggets. So one other bonus nugget. Do you know the uh, new Big Ten commissioner uh, who will take over after Jim Delaney on J1 went to Notre Dame? He's a Notre Dame graduate. Michael Warren is a Notre Dame graduate. He's recently with the Minnesota Vikings, so uh, I did want to point out. So we have an alumni now heading up to Big Ten. Maybe he'll pull them up. No, that'll never happen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of interesting, though. Maybe there'll be some uh, scheduling quirks that happen uh, this way, perhaps. That, that's, that is a, a good point. Uh, so you had a chance to get uh, the head coach for Navy, who's very well-respected and one mm-hmm. of the be- better coaches around, and basically uh, has a system. The system seems to work, and... And uh, we stole one of his guys, so you thought it'd be nice. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I say right. I stole, but you know these guys can go wherever they want, pretty much. Now you had a chance to sit down and get on the phone with them and, and talk some football. Yeah, there's some funny circumstances. Uh, it, it was kind of a the transfer was interesting because. Well, let me back you up, okay? So Aloe Gilman, he's coming out of Hawaii, um, okay, and he grew up in the same town um, as Ken. New Matalolo, uh, Coach, Ken. Coach Ken. Coach Ken. It's like uh, it's like uh, Mayor Mayor Pete, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So he was familiar with them. Now, Alohi was not a very highly recruited. Did Notre player. Dame recruit him? No, not at all. No, um, he made his mark against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm, I remember as a that. freshman at Navy had twelve tackles in that upset of the Irish. Yeah. Um, so that's where Brian Kelly got to know Alohi very well. Um, but what happened was in two thousand and sixteen. The United States Defense Department lifted a rule, it was a long-standing rule, where graduates from the military academies had to immediately serve five years of active duty Okay, right upon their graduation. No questions, no, no, no right. ifs, ands, or buts. They had to do that. Well, they lifted that. The U.S. Defense Department lifted that and said, you know what, we're going to rule it on a case-by-case basis. If somebody wants a professional sports career, obviously they can't lose those five years. So now all of a sudden, although he was attracted to the Naval Academy, committed, went to the prep school up Mm -hmm. there in Rhode Island, and then came down and played a terrific freshman year um, under Coach Ken, second on the team in tackles. I mentioned the 12 uh, tackles against Notre Dame in that upset win for Navy. Well, less than a year later... The Defense Department came back and said, nah, just kidding. <laughs> that was a bad idea. We're going to do something else. Yeah. So, oh, that man. Put, that, so that put Alohi back on the hook for those five years immediately post-graduation wow. to go to active duty. He wasn't interested. He's interested in an NFL career, and away you go. So mm-hmm. it was back and forth. The transfer happened. But, you know, just to kind of go to show you maybe the times we live in rags on top of that, just kind of the pressure and now, you know, just criticism, whatnot, these Notre Dame kids are up against. After he made the transfer, he got a very nasty letter this past December, though he did on campus, mm-hmm. from a group that called themselves Six Veterans and College Football Fans. I won't read you the whole thing, but it was a nasty letter. They accused him of spitting on the flag, uh, treason, and all kinds of things. Uh, to further your NFL career. Like I said, maybe these are times we live in, I guess. But I did have a chance to catch up with Coach Ken for the story I was working on. And he really breaks down how he found a low he. Um, that was an important thing. What he was like to coach. The difficult transfer situation on both sides. And he talks a lot about the Polynesian culture and how these kids go through a really tough upbringing, a boring upbringing on that North Shore of Hawaii. It's all sports all the time. So here's here's I thought was a nice interview that I thought would pop in here. Obviously, although he's become a big part of the team up here, I was curious, how'd you guys cross paths? Well, just in recruiting, I mean, he wasn't 
wasn't a highly recruited kid, but it was very evident he was a really good football player. He, we're from the same hometown. I mean, he, I know his mother, but just from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, we recruited him because he thought he was a good football player. And even though he didn't have very many, he didn't have any offers, we, we thought he was a really good football player. It kind of shocked us. Did you expect him? Obviously, he made a, a quick impact for you as a freshman. Did you expect him to step right in and, and do those sorts of things? Well, he's one of our he was one of our better players at the prep school. I mean, because like I said, even for us, even though he wasn't a highly recruited kid, he was one of our best players. We knew coming in, he was one of our best players, and so he did a, had a really good year at, at our prep school. And he was one of the kids we're counting on to come down here and do well. But you could tell early on just. Yes, he's got all the tools, but he's he's different. Football-wise, he's his attention to detail, uh, his grasp of concepts, uh, you know, just his football IQ is really, really high. He's a very focused young man uh, doing a, a kickoff drill. And our, our position coach was going over some different, some specific detailed steps that he wanted each player to do on certain drills and you know from clearing to stacking a guy to getting on the line and making sure he paddles I mean just all these different steps and I just remember watching the tape and he did every single thing which was like wow because there were some kids even some of the older kids they might have missed a step they might have forgot to get back to stack the kid or they might have forgot to rip or to or they might have forgot to do this but he did everything right. So I was like, wow, here's a young freshman, came, was able to listen to all of the the details of the drill and to do it and accomplish it. And because, you know, I had to run it back. Who's that? Right. That's a low. He was like, he did everything right at freshman. So he just knew off the bat that the kid, had, he obviously had the talent, but he had the intangibles too. He was smart. He listened. He was humble. And then obviously he got on the field really early for us and played had a great year for, had a great freshman year for us. You know, when in talking to Alo, he he still I think it still hurts him the transfer. He said it was the hardest decision that he has ever faced. What was that process like? Well, it was very hard because you know when you come here because he went to the prep school, so you become really really close to guys. The prep school is really hard, and it's meant to be that way. You know, your first year as a plebe is really hard here. And so you go through hard things with guys, and so you become really, really close. I mean, there's the things you go through at the prep school, and as a freshman, you don't go at any other school besides the service academy. You become really close with people. You know, you you got guys from all across the country, and you go through those things, and so you become really, really close. And I think that was the hard part because those guys became his brothers. Um, so that part was tough, and obviously it was hard to lose him. We didn't want to lose him because he's really, he's really a good kid. He's a good person. You know, forget the football part. He's just a good person. Yeah, he sure. He did everything he was supposed to do. He kept his nose clean. He good in school, good in military side. And he was, you know, one of our best football players. You know, we definitely didn't want to lose him. Although he talks a lot about his upbringing and the culture that he was raised in there in Hawaii. He said it wasn't about video game. He shared a story where chasing wild chickens was sort of their entertainment. But how much do you think the culture that these young men are brought up in feeds into the success that they're finding on the football field? Then the culture that he talked about on North Shore, I mean, you know, there's not much to do there. It's a beautiful part of the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. But guys play sports. Sports were a big part of it. Uh, I think football has been a game that 
kind of fits into the Polynesian culture, just the warrior mentality, just the physicality of it. I, I think American football is kind of fit into Polynesian culture because of just the physicality of it. And like I say, what Lowy's talking about, just growing up on the North Shore, there's not much else to do but to play sports. You know, Todd, either way you, you fall on this issue, this kid is going to be a lightning rod now, no matter what, because of this you know decision that he made. I, I can see the Patriot and people getting upset at it, but at the same time, think of the kid, think of what he sure. wants to do with his uh-huh. life, and, and you got to put things in perspective. So, uh, well, it's interesting, Rags, and you, you can probably connect the dots on this. You know, he's been here since seventeen. Yeah. He had to sit out seventeen, um, and, and it really wasn't till really the last year, for whatever reason, that all of a sudden all this venom is coming hmm. out. I wonder so, why. Yeah, that's hard to figure out. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens once he get you know the reaction. I mean, if he if he makes plays, yeah, I think people will uh, kind and of. He's going to make plenty. Yeah, I, I think he's a lock to be a captain. Um, certainly on pace to reach his NFL dreams. He was fabulous last year. If you remember, when you go back back to 2017, um, Notre Dame had no interceptions from its safety yep. position. It's the first time that's ever happened in the modern era, whatever that is. I love throwing that out there. It's 50-plus years. <laughs> Since so it, we were alive. It, yeah, it, it's it's a long time. And now last year they had, I think between Elliott and Gilman, I believe it was six or seven. I know uh, Elliott had four. A lot of tackles, a lot of big plays. Expect more of the same. It's probably one of the... We went in two years from probably one of the worst safety position units in the country to clearly one of the best. Alright, and you know... It, it, it is a difficult situation, and I wonder if things will change uh, anytime soon. Uh, well, that's a different podcast for a different day. Uh, let's talk about the offense now. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, um, we're just progressing along here, waiting mm-hmm. to see what happens. Uh, we know we we know our quarterback. We're we're going to learn about our running backs, and uh, we've got an anchor at wide receiver and in the slot. So, you know, what else are we going to learn about this offense in the offseason? You, you think you know your quarterback, and maybe you do know your quarterback, but the coaches for Notre Dame want you to know a different quarterback. Okay. What, they, the, what they've sent him in the spring is what, in my opinion, is an interesting sort of edict, an interesting challenge. To, you know, most of the time, because these kids grow up, you football the whole world. Sure. Take care of the football like you know, like you're guarding your life with it. Like you're holding a baby. Exactly. Well, now they want Ian Book to do just the opposite. They're not worried about. It. They're telling him to wing it around. So they want him. They want more Brett Favre in him. They want him to be a gunslinger. Is that and, what you're telling me? And, and you can see why. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, I mean, obviously Ian dinked and dunked his way to a school record 68 yeah. percent completion percentage. But the downside of that is they averaged only 12.5 yards per completion, which is the lowest in, in a very, very long time. Well, and then when you see him up against a team like Clemson exactly. and the dynamic quarterback that Lawrence is, you're like, all right, well, we had something nice, but we don't have something that's really nice. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think when you, I think that's really the, the eye opening moment for the Notre Dame football coaches when they said, we got to do more downfield, yeah. you know, yeah. especially when you're looking at three, six, four plus receivers last year in Mac, Boykin, and Claypool, and they're only averaging 12.5 yards per catch. You know, something's yeah. not quite right. So that's why they're really pushing on him to be better. You know, Chip's long third season here in 2017, it was all about big plays, Rags, mainly in the running game. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Josh Adams, Mike sure. McGlinchey, and Quentin Nelson there. And an uh, offensive line just opening everything exactly. up. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was kind of a hit-for-power type of team. Uh, let's see here. They finished with 34.2 points a game, which they slipped a little bit during that slow finish. But during that 8-1 and start of that season at 17, they averaged 41.3 points. 
The school record is 37.6, set in 1968. So they were on pace to break that scoring record. More interestingly, they did set a school record with 6.3 yards per rush and had 16 plays of 50 yards or more, 13 of 60 yards or more, and 6 of at least 73 yards. Right. Okay, now, so now let's, uh, let's compare that to last year, okay? The passing game had three pass plays of 50 yards or more. Oh, my gosh. And Dexter Williams had three rushes of 54 yards or more. So you went from 16 to 6. And wow. what's interesting about the, the three pass plays, one was the, the longest one was 66 yards. It was a screen pass mm-hmm. to Michael Young. I remember that, that he, Yeah, that he went. And then the next one is uh, another one of those three plays was a 51-yarder. It was just kind of a little cross pattern to Tony Jones Jr., who broke a couple tackles and went from the only true vertical pass play of more than 50 yards that Ian Book hit all of last year was a 56-yarder to Chris Fink against Virginia Tech. I guess I didn't realize that. Well, you know what happens is winning hides a lot of these things, you know. And that's exactly the, when you right. go undefeated and you look at these flaws, you kind of ignore it, thinking, you know what, we're scoring some points, we're getting enough points to win. Yeah. And maybe this, you know, it's his first year basically, so maybe we'll just put up with it and win games. Who cares? Well, you referenced the Clemson game, and I think that was important because of when you look at the comparison. And I think after that, because it didn't seem like Book had any much pocket poise, you know, he was kind of all over the place. He even had a fumble on a scramble, threw a pick, no touchdowns. I think he completed less than 50% of his passes. So people started to dive in a little bit and say, is this kid always been made out to be? Keep in mind that Notre Dame last year, Syracuse was the highest rated pass defense that Notre Dame played mm-hmm. against. They were ranked 47. And I thought that was an impressive figure as well. Now, to Book's credit, their scoring offense, once he took over for Wimbush, jumped to 36.6 points, which is fine. Notre Dame averaged about 34 points a game. But as you mentioned again, it has to do better. Because let's look at the three playoff teams from last season. Oklahoma led the nation 48.4 points a game. That's two more touchdowns than Notre Dame was scoring. Alabama was second, 45.6. And Clemson was fourth, 44.3. Again, Notre Dame was 41st in the country at 31.4 points a game. It's not going to get it done. That's what Clark Lee's talking, or I'm sorry, Chip Long's talking about in throwing it downfield. And him and Tommy Reese, that's been the message. Well, here's another thing that hurts is – this team, and it didn't happen at all last season until the Clemson game, they get down by more than one score. Uh-huh. They're not going to be able to come back if you're not going to throw the ball downfield. And that's what you saw in that uh, semifinal game. Yeah. It, and they never, I mean, there was a couple of uh, the second half comebacks that they had, but it was never like the game, hey, we're two scores down. We need to just throw the ball on every down. It, they, they never had to do that on offense. No, we talked at length during the season last year. You never really felt. Even in the games they trailed, you never thought like, "Oh, uh oh, here yeah. we go." There's never an uh, good. There's yeah. never an uh oh moment. It's like, "Oh boy, we got to open up this offense and throw on every down." Uh, yeah, never had to come to that. I don't know that they were ever until the Clemson game. I'm trying to think if they were ever down two scores. I, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm. That's my point. I don't think they were. I remember them being down in a couple of games and having to come back in the third and fourth quarter, but never where it was like, uh, you know, spread them four out and yeah, you know, right. you know. So, and an interesting thing is, you talk about Tommy Reese here. He's never been one of those quarterbacks right. either. So it's 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 interesting that this is the coach that they're going to lean on to try to get him to open up. And I think it is interesting because there's a dynamic here between Book and Reese because there's there's such similar styles sure. both, both in terms of their demeanors, their playing style, I, I all, see of, that. all yep. of it. 
And so it's really become more of a friendship sort of relationship than sort of an X and O's and, and footwork and this and that, sort of that coach-student thing. It, it seems like it's more of a, a friendship. And I don't know if that's good or bad. It seems to be good because they both have a lot of trust in each other. And Reese is going to have to get across to Ian Book. Ian Book's saying all the right things about, I'm going to press it downfield, I'm going to press it downfield. But, you know, when that's sort of your makeup, if that's in your genes to check off a little bit too quickly – how yeah I mean, how do you let, teach that how do you how do you yeah, get that you, instilled in somebody's brain to yeah do that, you know uh, you know how do you get a kid to flip the switch yeah. you, you know i mean i they're gonna they're trying they are trying like hell they're saying you know what if you throw a pick you throw a pick you know he was 17th in the country in pass efficiency last last, uh, last year i think he only threw seven interceptions if those two numbers slip a little bit for the sake of more than 12 and a half yards per completion this year, I think that's a trade-off the Irish coaches will take for sure. And, and again, it starts with Tommy Reese and Chuck Long really working him over. And I, I mentioned the relationship between the quarterback and the quarterback's coach, and I, th- I thought Chuck Long really broke it down well and explained the dynamic uh, between these two. Coach Reese played here, so... You know, he's been able to help develop Ian these last two years um, and just gives another outlet to go to um, from myself and, and Coach Kelly and just a guy who's young enough who's been there, what, four or five years ago, you know, knows exactly what he's going through um, just to, to, you know, help give him a calming presence. But, you know, he's done a great job. Once Ian's now, he's, you know, solidified himself as a guy. Um, I think now it's more coach-player relationship as opposed to, you know, had, Hey, you've been there. You know how do I need to handle this? You know he's been doing it for a while now, um, but I think it's grown to more of a, you know, a structured player-coach um, relationship now. That's this really going well. Yeah. So long really hit on it, and we did. I didn't have a, a chance to cut up the clip with Book in, in his portion of talking about uh, his relationship with Tommy Reese, but certainly. It's there. They're only six years apart, Rags, in wow. age. They were, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It does, yeah. You know what? They both came in out of nowhere. Right. You know, if you remember, Dane Christ got injured, and then here's Tommy Reeks. They threw him in after three, four games, almost in the same circumstance as Ian Book did when they benched Brandon Wimbush. So you go from backing up, waiting your turn, to all of a sudden, it is your turn. And so I, there's a lot of similarities between these two guys, and I think that why that why that's why the bond is growing stronger. And we got caught up in it last year, too, with uh, his starts and uh, Ian Book. We got excited. We talked about maybe, you know, Heisman talk this season sure. and all that stuff. But what you, what we failed to realize is the, the dynamics. You, right. need a, you need a dynamic quarterback in order to even be, you know, considered a Heisman. And he, he just didn't show those skills last year. Is it the play calling? Does it just... Uh, does uh, you know? Does uh, the Co- coach Kelly just just put in a bunch of plays? Like you're not checking down, kid. You're you're doing this. I, I don't know how yeah, you instill that kind of right. confidence without having early success. So maybe the first couple of games he has some early successes against Louisville and th- of that nature. Georgia, Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? So, um, but that's the only way it's going to instill that kind of confidence in his brain. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you can practice it. Yeah, you, you can work on it in camp. You can work on it in spring ball. You can wing it around during summer private workouts. But you know, you're exactly right, and I don't know. Maybe that's just not in his makeup. I well, know you know he, the scary thing is the fallback plan 
isn't up to snuff this year either. Right. So that's the the scary part is you don't have any in book waiting in the wings. And we talked about that a few weeks ago with you know the, the blue gold game that showed some glaring um, faults with their backup quarterback. I'm really glad you brought that up because. One of the biggest problems, and we've talked about it at length, but I love bringing it up at just about every show. It's kind of a tradition of ours. Is you know the the second year quarterback jinx, starting sure. quarterback jinx for Brian Kelly. I mean, uh, whether it's been through injury, suspension, benching, transfer, Kelly Brian Kelly has not had the same starting quarterback through two two full seasons. Just the same starting quarterback through two full consecutive seasons since he's been at Notre Dame. This is his tenth mind boggling. I know, and on top of that. When Ian Book presumably makes the start against Louisville on Labor Day, Brian Kelly will have had a different different opening day starter in eight of his last nine seasons. That's that's hard to believe. And he's had two undefeated seasons in that. that that's, yeah. that's the thing that doesn't right. make any sense, right? Yeah, exactly. And and they're going for ten wins this year. It'll be only the second time in school history if they can get there. And <laughs> and that happened in the early nineties under Lou Holtz. So he is finding success. I guess once I started researching the Ian Book story, I was pretty fascinated by by sort of his ineptness to throw vertically. Yeah. I, it just didn't really dawn on me as I was watching him. I heard people grumbling about it in the press box and whatnot, but I didn't put I, I didn't pay a whole hell of a lot of attention because you know they're winning games, well, winning cures all and, all sicknesses. Yeah, it really does scoring almost forty points a game, you know, thirty seven whatever it was when he was the quarterback. So it didn't really dawn on me. But when you start crunching the numbers, I can see where the Irish coaches are coming from. And the Notre Dame haters out there are going to say, "Well, look at their schedule. You know, there there's a reason why they were winning these games. You know, so the Skeptic out there will say they didn't maybe have one of the toughest schedules. And you pointed that out with the toughest defense they faced was actually Syracuse. And that's not very good. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to passing defense, indeed. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, again, it, it's it's really early. It's June. But, you know, it is a concern, especially that uh, the fallback plan. I, I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, but I, I can't be hypocritical. I've always been like, well, you got the guy, stick with the guy, stop messing around mm-hmm. with the quarterback. So we'll see what happens, Todd. It, 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 it definitely, it should, look, if it works, it should lead to a very exciting offense. I mean, the most exciting, I mean, we haven't had an offense like that since Quinn and, and the days of throwing the ball down the field, you know? Yeah, it, That's really the last time we saw that kind of, you know, the Charlie Weiss opened up the playbook and they, you know, threw the ball down with some margin and the likes. Yeah, when they were actually winning and doing so. I mean, Clawson had some good years yeah, in there, yeah. but but you know, but again, they weren't winning games. Exactly, so exactly. I, I think your Brady Quinn, Jeff Samarja, uh, Maurice Stovall comparison is more than fair. It is a bit ironic that Tommy Reese is coaching him to open up the offense. That there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a level of irony there. Yes, there is. <laughs> All right, Todd. That it does it for the Blue Gold Report. As always, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Remember, wherever you found us, make sure you rate and review us and subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. We're off next week. We'll be back with another Blue Gold Report later on in June. You guys enjoy your summer. Todd, I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good, my friend. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.